Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today, my guest is a is a photographer and videographer. I recently did a project with actually my uh, first freelance project, actually, just to be honest with you, which is kind of kind of sick. Exciting. Um, I was an audio engineer for this uh, project that involved uh, a video game company, and he was the the shooter for it. So it was pretty cool to see different elements in play because usually I've just been sticking to the podcast side where I where I handle everything or I've done live audio engineering, but you only need like an audio guy. So actually working in a team was pretty good, dope. It's my pleasure to introduce Antone Patterson. It's great to be here. It was uh, definitely great to work with you too, especially seeing the, the audio side of things, like coming from like photo and video background, like right. audio kind of scares the shit out of me because you can like look at the waveform, but can't really mm-hmm. see what's going on. And especially with how important it is in terms of like making sure it's recorded right and can't really tell until you're like listening to playback in a sense. So it's really 100%. cool to see that process. Yeah, it's uh, everyone says like you can you can live with shitty video, but if like you have bad audio, no one's gonna check it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So how how'd you get your start in? Uh, video and photography like are, also are you from seattle originally uh so i grew up in the bay area i was okay. actually born in mexico lived in the bay area for a while then oregon but i've been in seattle on and off for about 11 years or so mm. lived in edmonds i went to western washington uh, university for college uh, where i majored in political science and i was gonna go be a lawyer and very glad i didn't end up doing that i got the the giant lsat book and was like you know do i really want to be spending three four more years hundreds of thousands of dollars on school and so when i graduated college i gave myself three months to pursue filmmaking a mm. bunch of different other stuff and kind of leading up to that for the few summers before that i taught a filmmaking class to like kids at a summer camp i worked at so i was able to learn a lot through that and kind of learn to work with people and especially teaching younger kids was a kind of a challenge but really enjoyed it mm-hmm. and uh, growing up my whole life i really loved like movies especially my grandma would take me to see these really boring black and white foreign films when i was growing up and i actually really enjoyed those because one thing about that i was so young i couldn't read the subtitles mm-hmm. on screen so i had to try and like figure out what was happening and then uh but yeah once i graduated college i uh, started out as an assistant editor over at microsoft production studios working for uh, a gentleman i met the previous summer and then kind of went off did some stuff for t-mobile microsoft amazon a lot of different stuff like that and then from there kind of was able to get into some photography and other stuff i was able to work as a production assistant on a few music videos in Mm. Seattle, which was kind of the big kind of creative birth for me of working with a lot of people I'd kind of grown up idolizing, seeing their process and all really cool, nice people. And then from there started shooting concerts and that's kind of my favorite thing to do now. Hell yeah. So would you say it all just came from kind of connections or how much, because you went to school, you said for law, political political science. So how much did school help versus just meeting the right people at the right time? Uh, definitely probably meeting the right people at the right time. Uh, kind of one thing, my mantra for years has been, there's no substitute for hard work and dedication. Mm. So I actually really didn't have a great time in college, really wasn't a fan of just kind of going to class, doing stuff like that. I graduated with a 3.8 degree GPA and just found it kind of easy, but it was also like, wasn't accomplishing anything. Mm. Like you write a paper, you turn it in, you get a grade. That's not like a feeling of accomplishment, at least for me. 
And so that was kind of one big thing of in my off time, I was like doing yard work and then I bought a really shitty Canon camera and messed around, learned aperture, shutter speed, stuff like that. And then with that kind of background, getting started in post-production with video editing, kind of seeing how everything fit together. And then the biggest thing for me is I've never had a problem of just like hitting people up of, hey, can I help on this? Can I do that? And that's actually how I was able to help with some of the music video stuff is just kind of kept annoying people of like, hey, I'm more than happy to help of just lifting heavy shit or other stuff like that. Just Mm. let me watch and kind of and but that's also a double edged sword. Like I've definitely annoyed quite a few people of being like, hey, can I help? And so it's a fine balance of that. I think persistence is key, though. I'm a very persistent person. So (laughs) I I learn when to do it and when not to do it. Also, that is an interesting thing. Persistence is definitely a double edged sword, Mm. but also sometimes offering help without like pay sometimes is a double-edged sword also so how did you figure out how to become a freelancer versus just being like hey i want to do this for the experience hey i want to do this for the experience hey i want to do this for the experience yeah that's definitely a tricky thing and probably one of the things i get asked about the most Mm. because one of the darker i guess dirty secrets of uh photography videography stuff is a lot of people are doing work for free Mm. which is very wrong and i could send you tons of dms and other stuff of like pretty big name artists and other people saying like hey you can do this for exposure and then most of the time they're not even going to tag you in the photo or something um since i got started in the corporate world where like microsoft a has the money and is always going to pay you Mm -hmm. like that's not an issue so there's none of that like you maybe can haggle about day rate and other stuff like that um but I'm not against doing some stuff for free, like especially starting out, like you're still learning. So it might not be a perfect thing. And even to this day, like I do some stuff for free or for the connections. Like mm-hmm. I think that's one thing. If you are going into something, doing it for free and you see it going somewhere, like if you're attaching yourself to an artist who's just starting out or maybe a venue where you might be able to work with them later, something like that, it's definitely an individualized thing. But if you're just going to keep continuing working for free, A, I don't think that's a very professional thing in a sense. Like camera equipment is super expensive. If you're trying to market it as a business, like an LLC, everything like that. Right. And it gives you more of an investment into the final product. If you're working for something for free, you might be lax on some stuff. But if you know, like, I need to do this to survive, like, you're going to have more kind of skin in the game, which is a big thing. And did you like working for Microsoft or like some people? Because I consider photography is definitely like an art form. So some artists, especially in Seattle, are really sometimes it doesn't. it's in their detriment, but they're like, I don't want to work for a corporate thing because it will take away from my art. So what was that like for you? Um, I really enjoy doing corporate work. I say I probably still do a huge percentage of corporate work on the video editing side. I would consider that my full time job Mm -hmm. for what I do. And I really enjoy it Um, because with corporate work, you're kind of getting consistent clients. It's always interesting stuff. And even though it is corporate, it's not necessarily like boring stuff like a lot of the stuff I do might be seen as boring but a lot of it's really exciting a few years ago I did a lot of the trailer launches for Xbox and got to edit those and that was like very exciting kind of seeing a lot of the cutting edge stuff the client was really receptive to like trying new things and it turned out like a movie trailer for Mm. a lot of them and found it really exciting I think a lot of the people that do dig on when creatives do corporate work come from a very privileged background of Mm. I think that's one thing I see a lot 
are these people are like rich kids with a red or what i call them where it's their parents bought them a red camera and ari camera and they can go like mess around on music videos all the time it's like probably not getting paid for those you're living with your parents in a sense different stuff like that so you don't have that kind of drive to do it versus like for me i really had to go out and make money Mm -hmm. doing what i want to do otherwise i was gonna i don't know what i was gonna do and corporate world like you learn a lot especially dealing with people and there's a lot you can take away doing corporate and creative work of like communication that's a huge thing of when you're in that corporate atmosphere communication is ultimate for how you talk to people how you deal with people how you respond to feedback that's a huge thing and so that's actually been able to help me in the creative world quite a bit hell yeah so how long have you been doing videography and photography full-time for a living um about seven years or so now so been quite a while hell yeah so how do you know when did you know that you can make this like a reality like was it as soon as you got the microsoft stuff or uh i mean still to this day i don't think of it as a reality because it's still like continually chasing new leads and especially as any small business owner can tell you the past two years have been brutal Mm. in terms of like covid and the shutdowns stuff like that so kind of working within that uh, frame and trying to capitalize on some of those opportunities as I like to think of it um, when I first started doing like the Microsoft assistant editor stuff uh, I won't get too much into it but the person I was working with or working for was very unethical with how they a, were paying me and some other stuff mm. um, and so once I did that split I did some other random projects got a full-time job at a video game company for a little bit and was doing some work for them and uh yeah, once photo stuff started taking off more, uh, but yeah, just kind of hitting up anybody and everybody. But still to this day, like very glad that I get to do it full time because it's something I love. So even after a 10 or 12 hour a day, I don't really consider it work. So how do people get chosen for like video editing? Because I feel like, can do you think anyone could be like a video editor or is that still like a pretty... Because I feel like I'm confident in my own video editing skills too, but I didn't go to school for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So how how do like companies find video editors? Is it kind of like a your situation where it's more of a connection, or is there like are there like is there like an interview process for a video editor? Like, do they give you sample work, or how does that happen? Uh, kind of depends on the client and the project. Uh, anytime anybody asks me, or anytime I talk to people about like they want to go in the film industry or something like that, the two things I always tell people is become a video editor work in sound design something like Mm -hmm. that or work in grip and lighting essentially anything that you can be in a union for is a big thing in the industry but video editing i got into it by potentially illegally downloading a version of premiere pro years ago and messing around working on that and just messing around with it and kind of the big thing with it is there's a lot of different workflows within Premiere, which I use, I use Premiere probably ninety percent of the time. I use do some DaVinci. Da Vinci. Mm-hmm. I've messed around in Avid, um, but the biggest thing with especially corporate clients is the folder structure, workflow, handoffs, different stuff like that. So there's a lot of stuff that's super easy to learn, but may not be accessible to some people. Uh, if you go on my Instagram or even I think I have a YouTube video about, it, I kind of break down and show here's the folder structure because I freelance at quite a few different places and everywhere uses pretty much the same folder structure but getting into it i think it's a lot of just trial and error because editing more than a lot of other things everybody's going to do it a bit differently mm-hmm. and there's a lot of 
like similar kind of like specific things you need to learn like right now you're doing multi-cam like switching the feed and that's like a specific thing in premiere which a lot of my microsoft work is like these kind of three camera like good morning america type interview things Mm -hmm. um so a lot of trial and error as far as like getting work from it kind of making the jump from some creative work to the corporate work i think is trickier than starting it in corporate Mm. and that's always been one of my kind of hindrances moving towards some creative video editing work is my website real everything is like corporate 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 with some creative work and it's like hey i can do this versus a lot of the people who are editing music videos or other stuff like that are self-taught and have their kind of own way of going about Mm. it and so it's kind of a tricky jump and i feel like going from that world to corporate is tricky as well but a lot of it's word of mouth of like just trying to do a good job for like one client they'll recommend you to stuff luckily doing some filmmaking stuff in seattle it is a really really small community yeah which is nice so everybody kind of knows everybody in the sense and then like once again just like about every six months or so i just do cold emails to different clients if i haven't worked with somebody in a little bit hey like remember me or if somebody's been really good like i want to dedicate my time to that company right and just kind of yeah coming up with a reel of work and yeah apprenticing if possible how do you feel about weddings like i recently shot my friend's wedding she just wanted me to do the i think it was just the ceremony so it was Mm -hmm. literally just i had two different camera angles and it was a comedian show Mm -hmm. she wasn't too stressed if it was the best thing in the world but even that i was like stressing about like this is the pressure of this being perfect because it's their (laughs) special day i'm like Mm -hmm. i don't know if i could ever do a wedding again like what about you have you had any experience with weddings yeah i've done about probably three or four different weddings and the kind of one thing that like i ask people who do a lot of weddings one thing they said is have a good contract Mm. so for a lot of my photo work i have a contract i give to clients and i have a few different provisions in there of like it's a paragraph long very lawyerish way of saying like not going to guarantee it's exactly what you want in a sense like it shouldn't Uh, come it shouldn't come to that um all the weddings I've done have been for good friends and trust me and I give them a discount because wedding photography and videography is one of the biggest scams out there. And like, DJs, the wedding DJs. Yeah. It, like it's this, like if you get a business credit card or a business phone, business internet, they hike up the price because it's for a business. Mm. If you like do something for a wedding, they hike up the price and 10,000 fucking dollars to photograph a wedding. And they're all putting the same sepia, like shitty filter on it. Mm. Or black and white. As someone who likes black and white photography, yeah. it's not hard to go in Lightroom and make them all black and white. Yeah. And it is wild to see like how expensive it is and stuff. And like I wasn't charging my friends anywhere near that. I was like, I'm gonna be there, like, let's have fun. You're gonna get some great photos and stuff, but yeah. please do not get the stupid sepia filter on right. everything. Like you go on any wedding photographer's Instagram page, it's the exact same filter on everything. And that's what kills me. Like photography like i have different ways of approaching photography in a sense but the biggest thing for me is like capturing what's going on Mm. don't try to make it look like something else like it's their special day it's kind of what they want and it's what it should be if they want the sepia filters okay but it's not a unique type thing but anything with that or really any type of photography in general it's all about finding the little moments and that was like the best piece of photography advice i ever got uh from photographer i really like and how do you know that you we're a photographer and like we're good at it because I know that I can take the most basic pictures and they'll look good as a thumbnail but I know like I am just not drawn to doing photography myself 
Uh, that's kind of one of the things I struggle with the most mm. is kind of my identity as a photographer, even though that's what I do a lot and kind of what people see on Instagram. And when they like know me, they see me as like a photographer. Like I do a lot of nightclub photography on Cap Hill, met a lot of people. So they kind of see me doing that and know that. Um, I don't see myself as an artist or anything mm. like that when it comes to photography. I like just capturing what's going on. Mm. I'm a pretty introverted, like I don't go out do too much and so i'll like kind of hang on the wall and so my favorite photographs i take are kind of far away with a long lens or like wide angle just capturing what's going on and i think that's what photography should be in a sense of you're almost journaling what the moment is Hmm. and i got started with photography of basically just taking like photos of my friends when we would do drunk shit in high school and that's like my favorite my favorite photos to this day i took on my iphone 4s of (laughs) like my friends doing stupid shit over by wedgwood and stuff like that and kind of learning different stuff like that and capturing that authenticity and then from there like just going like concerts are of course my favorite thing to photograph like why is that I am inspired by pretty much every musician I meet. Like as someone who's not very musically inclined, like music is really what drives me and inspires Mm. me. And so especially in Seattle, which has such a rich music history, like when I first moved here, I didn't have a lot of friends, didn't do stuff like that. And it was really the music of Seattle that kind of got me to embrace the city, like listening to Blue Scholars, Fresh Espresso, Greaves, all different artists like that, like that kind of like do it yourself just go out make music that's authentic and especially talking about the city and kind of the area i was really drawn to that and inspired by that and anybody who's really dedicated to their craft no matter what it is even if you're a welder a chef anything like that anybody that puts themselves into something like Mm. i think that's something that should be captured and with concerts you get that but showing the love to the fans so my favorite thing with concerts or festivals to shoot are crowd shots yeah because i think it's dave grohl has a quote of you sing a song to ten thousand people ten thousand people sing it back for different reasons and so there's a lot that's happening and the lighting for most concerts is really cool and so it makes it easy in a sense of like okay here's some like good stuff yeah i even i've tried to be a concert photographer one time for my friend's concert and they're like i'm not taking any of these pictures i'm like oh fuck <laughs> like i have no like are you supposed to have the flash i have no idea like what you're supposed to do <laughs> in a concert picture it's a it's definitely one of the trickiest things to shoot because there's no like light really right. like you might have good stage lights but it really depends on the venue like the bigger venue bigger artists they're gonna have more lighting and stuff mm. but if you're shooting someplace like the crocodile you're kind of fucked with lighting or even numos sometimes like numos has amazing lighting amazing lighting setups but if it's not used fully it can be super tricky and you can't use a flash for any concert photography because that like distracts the artist yeah see i I, yeah (laughs) (laughs) number one mistake right Yeah. yeah and it's unfortunately something you do have to generally have nicer camera equipment that has a much lower aperture where you can shoot like with no available light and then shutter speed get it down like depending on how experienced i am and kind of in the moment i can get the shutter speed down quite a bit um Mm -hmm. you can hike the iso up a lot but it's tricky because depending on the artist too you only have the first three songs so it's like shit i need to come up with at least a few good photos from that right and why why is the first three songs uh so you're not in front of the crowd the whole time like it definitely depends like for 
um, like smaller artists, more local artists that are performing at Numos or the Showbox, you can maybe get access to the whole show. For larger ones, it's just the first three songs, if that. And then sometimes you even have to be the way, way back. Like I was shooting Zach Brown Band mm. a few weeks ago, and I had to be way back at the sound booth, and I can't even release the photos, which sucks. Uh, but yeah, I always feel like something's going to happen to those guys when the camera guys are going through the crowd and people are jumping up and down. I'm like, is someone? Do people's cameras ever fall on the ground in those instances? Yeah, it's pretty gnarly, and especially as someone who's about five eight on a good day, like I <laughs> can't really do a lot of that stuff. And as I've gotten older, when I was younger, I could go through that stuff. And that's I do different nightclub photography on Cap Hill at Chop Suey every weekend. And that's going through a crowd of like 500 drunk people with my like pretty nice camera equipment. And yeah. the thing I'm most worried about someone spilling a drink on it. Like I have a good strap set up mm. and other stuff, but it's, you never know what's going to happen. So luckily the camera and the lens I use are kind of my like B camera where, and they're insured. So if it's oh, anything happens, but yeah, I've seen lenses fall, especially like if you're swapping a lens, that's the biggest time. So it's, you want to like always have a hand on it stuff, but yeah, depending on the concert too, it can get gnarly. Like this past summer, I shot a uh, day in day out fest at the okay. Seattle center, which was awesome. There was a band called turnstile, which mm. was, I was blown. I'd never heard of them before blown away by them, but giant mosh pit of people going, I got some really good photos of it, but I also got severely bruised. Uh, so shit. it's that kind of double edged sword. Yeah. Those mosh pit ones could be rough or if the couch is still like yesterday I was at freak out fest. Do you know what freak out fest was? Oh, yeah. The, one of my favorite uh, photographers, Travis Trot. Uh, okay. was photographing it hell yeah and this one guy what was the they're called the mystery lights mm. and people were just like losing their shit over this band and just moshing i was like i was not like this one guy and his wife were like somehow got wine and were drinking it up mm. front and then people started moshing and got spilled over them and they were pissed i'm like you gotta it's a it's a concert what do you expect's gonna uh it definitely depends on the artist but you got to watch out for the middle-aged people who like got the babysitter for the kids and are now wine drunk like that's what you get some weird crowds with those and depending on the artist luckily you know like who it's gonna be kind of it's like okay i can expect this crowd but or if it's like some kind of edm rave thing like those are the worst crowd and generally oh. the worst people but yeah <laughs> yeah i was i was at this charity event the other what is that Saturday and it was Ben Gibbard and Saul Soul? I think it's Soul. Mm -hmm. Is it Soul or Saul? I'm S O L. Okay. They were they were performing and it was like this like charity event type mm -hmm. deal. So everyone was like in suits mm -hmm. and dresses or whatever. And it was so funny to see these people just lose their shit, like being like wine drunk. Yeah. I was like <laughs> That was, I've shot uh, Death Cat for Cutie probably four or five times with Ben Gibbards in, and it's always like, starts out like a nice crowd, but then kind of like his hair starts coming down. It's always like wine with them. Like they were just at the Paramount a mm. couple weeks ago, and it's funny to see like the day, like very much dressed in the Patagonia, like the nice slacks. And I was like, okay, I can maybe see what's going on here. Mm -hmm. So, what is your opinion? Like, how do you make a photo go viral? You know, there's every once in a while there's like a photo of, whether it's at like before a concert or after a concert or whatever, there's like always some type of concert photo that ends up going viral or something. Uh, it depends because like Instagram has definitely been hurting photographers more and more the past oh, yeah. couple years. Crazy. That's honestly like what upsets me most about that is that has cost me a lot of business. Like I used to get work from just putting like hashtag Seattle photographer. Mm -hmm. People would look that up, but my reach like, Right now, I think I have about 4,000 followers on Instagram. And mm. when I go through the insights, it's showing it to maybe 50 of my followers, Whoa. which is wild. So I used to get 
hundreds and hundreds of likes and other stuff like that but the reach is more important like i don't care if you like the photo mm -hmm. or not but the reach of at least showing it to people because that's kind of what we all signed up for with using instagram like i the only personal stuff of mine i post on there are photos of my dog mm -hmm. and because people love dog photos and yeah. those kind of help with the reach sometimes um unfortunately one thing that does help a lot of music photographs go viral and that's just my own personal opinion but the close-up of a famous person mm. of and i've done this kind of to help with my instagram growth growth and instagram reach of a few years ago i got to photograph ed sheeran who's a really big artist and i have a bunch of close-ups of him performing they're not great photos but it's a famous person and you can see them clearly mm. and people in the fan pages like you get especially like he has a big following and kind of these creepy fan pages Shit. that follow him and there's a few other artists that have that too Greta Van Fleet is another mm. one and just reposting it but it really depends like there are a ton of talented concert photographers out there especially in Seattle like people who are way better than me mm. in a sense of like just showing a different view of it and that's one thing i like to see of if i see a bunch of people photographing one concert or kind of seeing everybody's different perspective and how they edit it um but i like for me my favorite thing are wide shots of just staying back seeing everything unfold especially if there's great lighting getting a lot of members of the band and then kind of just real emotion or people smiling and then the big thing is just the little moments i think that's a huge thing like right. my favorite photo i've ever taken uh, I was from a uh, band called Jungle. and I was... love Jungle. Cassie, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm -mm -mm -mm. I love it. And that. they were at the showbox. They had amazing lighting. I was in front for the first three songs. I was getting ready to leave. And I was looking. I was like, holy shit, the lighting in the showbox. Like, it was this orange, yellow light. It was beautiful. Yeah. And then this person, like, puts up their hands. And I, like, whip up my camera, take a bunch of shots. And I was like praying that one of them was in folk it like turned out well yeah get home and then i got a bunch of good but one specific one and i think i've like it pinned on my instagram i printed it out and have it actually hanging in my room Hell yeah. um and it was just like the right moment the right time nobody else had their hands up except for this person mm -hmm. and it was just like it was perfectly centered and it was just like holy shit like that's like just a little moment which is cool so what what, what, are, what are photographers doing now like do they have to make their photos reels somehow or like how do you get exposures or other platforms they're looking at to post things on now or um i've heard reddit is actually surprisingly good a friend mm. of mine who runs a video production vfx company in boston he made this really really cool breaking bad um thing and i believe in the unreal engine okay where he took like a bunch of the little symbols and kind of props from breaking bad and made this kind of one shot thing and it's amazing like truly incredible vfx work and he put it on reddit like on a breaking bad form and it got tons of reach and mm. stuff and like it was also a very positive like community he was saying where everybody was like oh that's really cool and resharing it uh, i see reels a lot uh it's something i should be doing more i guess for some stuff it does work like for the nightclub photography i do for dance yourself clean i take like 300 photos a night and then send them 150 and then edit some on my own and for that that makes a pretty good reel mm -hmm. or i do go through a roll of film every three to four months can make that into a reel the hard part is like since instagram started as a photo sharing app and kind of platform that's yeah. what i like doing more yeah and especially it's more of like my grandma has an instagram just to see my photos and it's like like my grandma to see them and other stuff like that and it's a, it's just kind of silly if like people follow you on Instagram for a reason and they should be able 
to see the photos and for them to not do it and especially people who use it for work like some of the bigger photographers or different brands and companies and i think musicians too are really hurt by it yeah because they're putting up like a three or four minute version of a song that's probably not going to track too well for the 15 second tiktok shit yeah and so overall it's only hurting the smaller people meanwhile like i follow the nfl and other nfl pages on instagram and i see like of course i like all their posts so they show them to me but it's the nfl posts like 50 times a day i don't yeah. need to see all their shit why yeah. can't i see smaller artists yeah it's the algorithm lately has been really super wonky i don't know how to feel about it yeah i yeah i'm more confused by anything than like why don't they just tell us kind of what to do yeah in a sense why does it have to be secret and like kind of you're showing like only fans type stuff and that's of course going to track well yeah but like i don't know it's so crazy how many um fake accounts are being made of girls lately yeah there's, there's gonna have to be something that comes around or it's gonna be towards guys something i feel like <laughs> something's gonna eventually happen actually i know what it is guys get the fake bitcoin shit <laughs> and then the, gir- the girls get the OnlyFans shit. <laughs> that's fu- like, that's pretty. That's honestly true. I can't remember, like what is the, the FTX trade like messages and other stuff. That's super funny. <laughs> uh, now and especially with all going on, like yeah, I have some friends who are really into Bitcoin and all of that stuff, and it's uh, it's interesting to see. Mm. So, is there like a hierarchy to cameras, or is it? Because I know for like certain like DJ software, you know, Serato mm-hmm. or video editing, it's Adobe. Mm-hmm. Some people would say for phones, it's iPhones and then the Androids. But what is it like for, for cameras? For cameras, the biggest thing I tell people is the best camera is the one you have on you. Mm. Like I have an iPhone like 10. It's one of the older ones. And I love how it takes photos. The big thing, I always have it on me. Mm-hmm. So I've like 13,000 photos on my phone. I need to buy more iCloud storage because I take like a hundred photos of my dog every day. Yeah. And so it's one I always have. I don't have to like put memory cards in stuff like that. Um, I started out shooting with Canon and I really liked, I had the Canon T3i, which I got for like 500 bucks. Yeah. Just kind of learned the basics. And then from there I moved to Sony, which I really like, like it has pretty good low light. Um, it's good for video, Mm. but I like, that's one thing too. I see on Instagram all the time with the Instagram reels of like these kind of gear nerds who get super into like, Oh, you're shooting Nikon Mm. and other stuff. And it's like, who gives a shit? Like you can't tell once you take the picture most like, (laughs) yeah, it's like Nikon is good. Sony's good. Like they're all pretty, they wouldn't be as big if they are, they weren't good. Like Sony is really expensive. That's kind of one of the bigger drawbacks from them. Uh, the mirrorless technology is great, especially for low light. But a lot of the like photo influencer people like Peter McKinnon or other people like that, a lot of it is they get a cut telling you to like buy a Sony camera. So, of course, mm. they're going to do this and change gear all the time. That's what my lens I have on my camera. I bought it from a gear nerd who was like wanting to upgrade. I was like, OK, I'll get a perfectly good lens for $800 off. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I use whether it's this studio or whatever studio I record at, I usually use Sony's or Canon's that have the freaking 29-minute um, limit mm-hmm. for a video, and then you just either put a wireless transmitter on it or use it as like a stream thing. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that... And most podcasts do it that way, too, mm-hmm. instead of buying like a full-on camcorder, and that's a whole different yeah. beast of its own. Or even when we were shooting, mm-hmm. like we used. I wonder why. Why do you think that is, though? Is it just because camcorders are just way more expensive and only single use versus cameras can take pictures on as well? Or 
I know there was a big move like when digital cameras started going of like here's kind of a dual threat approach for Mm -hmm. what you can do for me since I do do a mix of both it's nice to have them like I shoot on older Sony so or I guess they're technically older but my two main cameras I have a Sony a7s2 and a Sony a7r2 Mm -hmm. and now they're up to like the a7r5 and the a7s3 and but the biggest thing is it's the exact same sensor on all the cameras Ah. so the image quality none of that's changing the only thing they're upgrading it's like with new cars you notice Mm -hmm. how Every year, a new Toyota Tacoma comes out, and they give it one more mile per gallon or, like, yeah. nicer heated seats. And it's like, okay, it's, like, the same still thing. a nice car. Like, maybe just drive slower to get better gas mileage or whatever. But the improved autofocus, some color science shit, and it's, like, mm. like whatever. That's not a good enough reason for me to spend three grand on a new camera. So have you have you focused on like YouTube or anything, like if if there's a change, if you're shooting in a 4K versus 1080 for interaction at all, do you think any platforms, because I heard when photography was big on Instagram that they would like highlight better quality photos. Mm. So do you think that's a real thing where like YouTube's focusing on giving 4K videos more reach on an algorithm or whatever for pictures? Um, I'm not sure about that. I've very, uh, I'm very opinionated about the move to 4K and mm. think it's stupid. Like 4K, 8K, it's all dumb shit. Of that's yeah, it's gotten ridiculous at this point. And it was definitely something that was created to sell to consumers, like the 4K TV, mm-hmm. different stuff like that. From like someone who works as an editor primarily, like the move to 4K, 8K, all that kind of stuff, it just makes you have to use more hard drives, <laughs> get better computers, stuff like yeah. that. The only like pro, in my opinion, is you can punch in on the footage. So mm-hmm. that's, and even with photography, yeah. when I shoot wide, I know I'm able to punch in on specific things, and that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. That is a yeah. It makes me. Uh, I have a I have a decent laptop I use, but mm. when I try to do 4K, it takes forever. And the rendering, yeah, it's a bitch and a half to deal with that stuff. Yeah, it's gotten silly. Like for a lot of like, let's say if I did like a two minute video for somebody, <laughs> and it's 4K, all of that stuff, and I export it, and when I'm doing like scrubbing through to make sure it's good before I send it to the client, it's like oh shit like here's this mistake i have to go and fix that and then the exporting time so you really have to take in the exporting and uploading times and most people are watching a video or something on their phone on the toilet so it's like (laughs) do you need do you need 4k for that we're not making avatar here so what do you think about do you ever miss phones that had sd cards do you ever think about that i just kind of miss having like a phone I couldn't do as much with mm. in a sense of I really enjoy like having a smartphone. I'm not going to like drag on smartphones at all, but I think some of the simplicity of it, like for, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about this, like most of my interaction with my friends, like we don't really text each other. Like at this point we call each other. Mm-hmm. Like right before I got here, we were planning this trip. Uh, we we're going to Montana in February for some work stuff. Yeah. And it was this group chat going back and forth. It's like, this could be accomplished on a phone call way easier but for sd cards i think it would be nice because just like plugging it into the computer yeah. is a big thing versus like the cloud and other stuff can sometimes be a mess yeah i don't know how i feel about the cloud sometimes it's it's awesome overall but like if you have slow wi-fi or mm-hmm. downloading things all like downloading anything in 4k like we we're talking about takes forever so i don't know it would be 
or like even if like sometimes I do. Do you ever do any editing like on your phone ever? I've been wanting to try that a bit more. The few reels I've made, I tried at first to do it on the Instagram app, but mm. I couldn't match it up. Like when I edit right. in Premiere, I can look at the waveform yeah. and like make sure like everything hits right. Um, but it's just like too small of a screen. I do like being able to scrub with my finger through the mm. footage. It was like, oh, this is like nice because normally I use like the trackpad and mm. can do that. But it's like, okay, this works pretty well but i've been meaning to try like i think is isn't it adobe express yeah that's like they're kind of because that's one thing like one of my bigger gripes about the adobe software the past probably two or three years they've been marketing it more towards the influencer like tiktok crowds so they've been getting rid of a lot of the functions like need for some of the higher end video stuff and kind of almost dumbing down a lot of the stuff like premiere is a tricky like program to master and learn but now that a lot of it's dumbed down i can't like figure yeah. out some of it it's ridiculous that's that always like even throws me off as like a creator that people can just post something on tiktok and it goes yeah viral that shit's wild to me it's in the past like year or so and i've like talked to different companies and interviewed different stuff it's now like part of the interview process is like you made anything for tiktok and it's like probably it's not hard it's what 15 20 seconds yeah. like that's not a yeah it's not exactly a tricky skill to learn and that's kind of like one of the bigger things I get a lot when I interview for different jobs, different companies, different artists. It's like, oh, you haven't done this specific thing before. Mm. It's like, it's not hard to learn that. Like kind of what I tell people, like I have a friend who's a carpenter, mm. can make chairs, he can refinish your floor, do all sorts of different stuff. Anything carpet carpentry related, he has you. Mm. And whether you're hiring a photographer, videographer, video editor, something like that, like I may not have done this like comedic thing before, but it's not I'm still using the same tools so yeah. it's just a different kind of like wheel route like people like and i'm not sure if companies just don't know that or different artists don't like understand that but it's like you're kind of you're hiring the whole package in a sense so i think there's a when artists well not artists when like an everyday person thinks of a artist photographer or a concert photographer they think that you're probably like like best friends with the artist like how often is it that you're actually able to meet an artist Versus you're talking to their management or the mm -hmm. venue or whatever. Uh, really depends on the artist and things. So like definitely the bigger artists you don't really get to interact with. Or a lot of it's through their manager mm -hmm. and uh, kind of depends too. I've been doing some work for a member of the Seahawks the past few, uh, like probably two or three months. And I've been working directly with him for like more local artists. You get to work with them directly for some of the bigger ones. I've shot it's either through their manager, through their like publicist, different stuff like that. But really kind of depends on the artist and kind of yeah. their level. And the hardest part with that, too, is trying not to be the annoying guy. So if you do get the access to the artist and communicate with them to not over communicate. And that's kind of why I prefer to sometimes go through a manager because their whole job is to deal with people. Yeah. Um, so it's like dealing with them is a lot easier and kind of if you're nervous like when i first met a couple of the bigger artists i've done some work for it's like definitely nervous and more so like not nervous of meeting them but like nervous of not wanting to fuck up right. uh, yeah, like yeah. here's like a big opportunity here's someone and definitely with a couple of them i have like probably fucked up but, uh, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> what's your most wild like artist interaction story art uh, wildest artist interaction that kind of depends probably the worst okay that I won't say it was uh, an EDM duo and they were at the Paramount and I got to meet them a bit before show mm. and they had kind of famously gotten in trouble 
uh, and gotten kicked out of a festival in Portland for trying to beat up a security guard. And the security oh, guard, shit. they were just like, yeah, these guys were huge dicks. And like, go to meet them before. It's like, hey, like, I'm into whatever. And they're like, whatever. And like, just trying to flex, like, get photos and stuff. Like, didn't even say hi. We're just drunk pieces of shit. <laughs> and it's like, okay, whatever. Like, that's their choice to treat a person that way. I'm like, still going to shoot the show. They have good lights and stuff, and they're pretty big. So. Mm. It would look good. And then they get on stage, perform, and like people make fun of EDM a lot of like, oh, it's the same song over and over. They legitimately played the same song eight times in a row. <laughs> um, like they were just so out of it that I guess they didn't know or what. And it was at the Paramount too, which if you've ever been to the Paramount, yeah. it's like this nice regal, super nice theater. And here was like a bunch of like, EDM people and like pasties and other stuff and they were on stage like it was like it was just it was very interesting but it was a good show like yeah. got to go on stage get some good shots and they were interacting with the crowd a lot um but yeah That's most it. most people I've worked with are super nice like especially Seattle artists are great yeah 100% well what's next for you, you got any big projects coming up you want to promote um big projects coming up uh kind of big thing is always just looking for the new thing like mm -hmm. i've been i got to photograph a university of oregon football game a few weeks ago and had an amazing time doing that like i love football grew up watching football a bunch one of my cousins actually played in the nfl for a very short amount of time and would love to like go out shoot a seahawks game different stuff like that but Really, anything that's new and exciting, like love music videos, but yeah, I'm pretty much down to do anything and just kind of keep learning, keep meeting people. Hopefully next year, do a few more weddings and stuff, but just kind of kind of see what's out there. That's the big thing of Hell like yeah. I've had people approach me with different types of projects it's like, oh, that sounds fun. I've never done that before. So good challenge. And what is some advice that you have for up and coming artists, creators, influencers? Uh, as far as advice, I would say kind of try to find your own lane of what you're good at and what you like to do. Mm -hmm. I think that's the big thing of if you're doing something you like, you're going to do a better job of it. And then the worst somebody can do is say no. Yeah. I think that's the big thing yeah. of like if you're messaging different artists that you want to shoot or anything, just like all they can do is say no and they're going to probably type it at you. So it's like whatever. <laughs> and like. Don't take it personally. So I think that's one of the bigger, like harder parts, especially being fully freelance and being so invested in the work that I do is somebody says no, something like that it can be tricky because a lot of my mental health is directly related to my work because yeah. I like working. And if I'm not working, I'm not happy. Yeah. And so it's like if people are saying no or like it is also very cyclical in the timing. So like winters can be a bit slower for especially corporate work. Hmm. So it's like what are some different avenues of work I can do? And Santa pictures. Yeah, Santa. That's <laughs> actually I will be for my uh, uh, girlfriend's family be doing some Christmas photos for them here in a few weeks. And uh, Hell yeah. yeah. I'm dead. Well, what's the easiest way to reach you again? Uh, my Instagram is at Antone Photo. Uh, feel free to DM me, like, comment, anything down for advice. I'm always down to give people advice, like especially if you want to shoot concerts, like, it's really easy to do. There's a lot of people out there that want concert photographs. There's a lot of Seattle artists that are always looking for photos or even uh, like people's Bumble, Tinder, Hinge photos. Like that's, I've made yeah. quite a bit of money taking Tinder photos. And is that a thing? Is that a market? Is that a market? Oh yeah. That is a huge market, especially for like, think of it this way. So it's like, I was on like the apps for a little bit 
and like like girls get good photos because they like ask each other hey take my photo like more open about it yeah. and then like much more photogenic like guys like i've always heard the thing of it's like it's a guy with a fish like, that's what like <laughs> most tinder photos are just guy holding a fish so that's an automatic left swipe <sighs> so for all of my friends like one of my friends that is now married i took his bumble photo and then but it's fun. I see when I was on the apps, I saw a lot of the photos I took, especially the nightclub photos at Chop Suey uh, oh, that I do. Wow. See those on there all the time. And I would always be like, hey, I took that photo and stuff. But yeah, if you want to. You like, owe me a drink. Yeah, you owe me, <laughs> owe me a drink. But it was funny because it was like, oh, I don't like because they see a giant flash because it's like pitch black. So they don't actually see like yeah. me. And it was like, oh, that's funny. Um but yeah, Hinge, Bumble, pretty much anything. Like people want their photo taken. They want uh. good photos taken. And kind of what I tell people too is if you can get into corporate work or just find a way of making money mm. with what you do. That's one thing with a lot of the like rappers or other musicians I've worked with, like learn engineering, learn sound. That's a huge marketable, do something that very few other people can yeah. and then charge money for it. 100%. Yeah. Well, this has been the NAS podcast with... Anton Patterson. And we did it.